Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 1. As I mentioned during the announcements, we're going to be in this book, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 is our unit, but I'm only going to introduce this unit this morning by concentrating our focus on verse 1, and then Lord willing, next Lord's Day, we will finish out verses 2 and 3. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." In the upcoming days, we're going to be, upcoming weeks, we're going to be seeing this division in chapter 2, which kind of just opens up to us very naturally. You'll notice in verses 1 through 3 that the verb tenses are not present nor future. They are what? They are past. This is the way we were as believers. This is the way we formerly walked as believers. This is the way we formerly indulged ourselves as believers. Then in verses 4 through 6, God intervened. You'll notice that in verse 4. But God, in spite of our formal condition and the state of our life, but God, being rich in mercy, did something. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our what? In our trespasses or transgressions. And you'll notice that verse 5 repeats what verse 1 says. Verse 1 says we were formerly dead in trespasses and sins, but God did something when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. What did He do? Well, He exerted His power. What kind of power is that? Well, verse 5 says, He made us alive together with Christ. And so you'll notice in verse 5, we were dead, but now we are we are alive. So this is what God has done for us in Christ. God raised Christ from the dead. Christ died and He was made alive. We call that resurrection. We were dead but now we too are made alive. We call that resurrection. And that resurrection has occurred presently in our lives spiritually, and one day will be physical also. Our bodies themselves will actually be raised from the dead. So as one person I've heard preached before is this, Satan gets nothing. He doesn't get your spirit, he doesn't get your soul, he doesn't get your body. He gets nothing. This is all of God. And so verses 4 through 6 show us what God has done in Christ. And then in verses 7 through 10, 
we have both our present and our future. You'll see our present in verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. What good works? The good works that God prepared beforehand. When did God prepare this? Ephesians 1 verse 3 and 4. Before the foundation of the what? Before the world. So presently we are his workmanship. Like a potter and a clay, he's molding us and bringing us as believers into conformity of his dear son so that something will occur in the future. Look at verse 7. So that in the ages to what? To come. It's not in the age to come. In the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God has saved us by his grace. Amen? And we are being saved by his grace. And we will ultimately be saved by his grace so that in the ages to come, God will continue to manifest his grace to us. It's all of grace, amen, and all of God. And folks, all of this is flowing out of Paul's prayer for us. He prayed for us and desires us to be praying for our congregation, for ourselves, and for one another. Verse 17 of chapter 1, that we might have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And I just want to repeat this. We are not conformed into the image of Christ by osmosis. We're not conformed into the image of Christ because we feel something. We're not even conformed into the image of Christ in our service for Christ. We are conformed into the image of Christ as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has provided all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. So Paul's praying that this church would increase in the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God and Father. Would that be a good prayer request for you? Would that be a good prayer request for us or for any believer that is out there or any congregation of believers? And here are three things he desires for us to know under that knowledge of him. The hope, the riches, and the intense power that has come to us in Christ Jesus. It was the power of God who it was exerted in our lives to bring us to Christ. It was the power of his life out of death working in me to ultimately present me before him in holiness and blamelessness. This is his power working in us. The more conformity into his image as believers, the power is working in us. So Paul would say this, I am what I am by what? The grace of God. Did Paul labor? He did labor. Yet not I, but it was the grace of God working in me. And folks, that tells us something about the power of God. One of the mistakes that we can have, even as lost people who are exposed to biblical truth, we can say, well, 
in order for me to be saved, God has to work in me. Is that true? So therefore, I'm just going to wait around for God to work in me. That's not how it works. (laughs) It's God's power working in me and I working at the same time. Everybody see that? Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. I labored more than them all. Did you see that? I'm laboring, yet not I, but the grace of God is laboring in me. Paul's laboring the same instantaneous moment that the grace is laboring in him. And folks, that's how we come to Christ. We don't sit around and say, well, has God gifted me this, or has God gifted me repentance, or has he gifted me faith? No, you hear the word of God and you respond to it. And at the end of the day, if you respond to it, it will be God working in you. Everybody see that? Sometimes we like to take our responsibility and throw it on God. No, let God have his responsibility. Let our, ourselves have our responsibility. And God commands all mankind everywhere to repent and believe the gospel of God. That is our responsibility. And folks, when we're talking about that power of God, we're discussing the actual accomplishment of God's aims and purposes that he had before the foundation of the world. And that power to bring about all that, all that power was seen in Christ. Look at verse 20 of Ephesians 1. The working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in who? In Christ. That amazing power, that act of God acted in a certain person and at a certain historical time. It acted in Christ and at his resurrection. So folks, I repeat again. Salvation did not make salvation possible for us, even though it did tear down the veil, right? It rent the veil. But salvation was accomplished on behalf of believing people in that moment of Christ's crucifixion, his death, burial, resurrection unto him. Hallelujah for that. It's done. When Christ said, it is finished, do you think he meant it? It is finished. And so Christ's power, excuse me, God the Father's power raised Christ from the dead. That same power seated him above all, both now and in the future. God's power put all things under his feet and God's power gave Christ as the head to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now you could meditate for days on just one phrase of what I just reviewed. And it would be a rich blessing for you. It would increase your knowledge of God the Father and you would be conformed from glory to glory to glory in your understanding of that. Now folks, we have come to Ephesians 2 and verse 1 which is our subject for this morning. Most of this will be topical versus expositional. The passage says, you were dead, past tense, you were dead in your trespasses 
and sins. Now folks, what I have found as a pastor and as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, these some 43 years, what I have found is that what I'm about to go through here is one of the hardest statements from God for us to believe. By default, we are not embracing the fullness of what this means in our hearts and lives. I can say that that is true for believers, for as we have gone through this, believers have walked away saying, amazing. But it is definitely true for lost people. For them to believe what we're going to go over this morning. Now when I say this, what I am saying is more than these things. Folks, lost people may believe that you sin. In other words, lost people can easily discern to varying degrees and measures when other people sin. Would you agree with that? Okay. They can point it out. And as much as they want to deny evil, there was a period in the United States where our government was just saying there's no such thing as evil. And lately they are using that term of certain things that are going on. They called the invasion into um, Ukraine. Yes, thank you. The invasion in Ukraine. Our government leaders have called that evil. It was amazing. Okay. Lost people may say that other people sin. Lost people, if you would ask them, pick some notorious person. If you would say, did Adolf Hitler, was he an evil man? Was he a sinner? I don't know of hardly anybody. The overwhelming majority of people today would say what? Yeah. Yes. Okay, he, he is a sinner. And even in some rare moment, <clears throat> men may believe that they, on occasion, do sin. <laughs> okay? I remember talking to someone and going through the Ten Commandments with them, and at the end of it, they just said, well, of course, everyone transgresses all these, which is the point, right? But then when I brought it to bear on them, they had all kinds of excuses why they weren't that bad. But even among believing people, few give any attention to our greatest enemy. An enemy that resides even in a believer's flesh. Now in lost people, this thing called sin, they are enslaved to it. They are in bondage to it. Sin, transgression, trespasses are their master. And they will obey their master to some measure and to some degree. Their natural tendency, what they default to, is 
a sinful thought pattern with sinful desires and with a sinful will against God. That's the way lost people are. Is that hard for you to believe? But folks, even for believers in whom the reign and slavery of sin has been broken by the power of God in our lives, this greatest enemy, though it does not lord over a believer, it still resides in our flesh. And it is our greatest enemy. And what I have found in general because of either ignorance or wrong teaching, a lot of believing people are at peace with their sin nature. Now folks, if you are at peace with your sin nature, you're already losing the battle. Many believers are at peace with their sin nature and therefore when I talk about this, they either tune out or they're not interested or they say, well, you just don't have victory over sin. They know near to nothing what Peter says. The lust, now listen to this, the lust that wage war against your soul. The lust that wage war against your soul. He's talking to believing people. Peter is. And folks, that battle is fierce, isn't it? And folks, one evidence of it being fierce is the fact that Paul's going to write to this congregation, put on the full armor of God. Do you hear that? If there was no war, there would be no need for armor. And folks, my intention isn't to exposit Ephesians 6, but I will say this. The prophet Isaiah foretold that even the Messiah would enter into this dark world with armor on. This is a fierce battle. Perhaps the greatest exposition... on the teaching of indwelling sin within a believer was probably written by a man named John Owen. John Owen, in in his works, is not easy reading, but years and years ago, it was actually the first thing that I read from this man. In volume 6 of his works, he wrote on these three topics about sin. He wrote on the mortification or the putting to death of sin in a believer. Would you agree that that would be helpful for us to know? 
He wrote on this aspect, on temptation. Would you agree that that would help us to understand our enemy? And then he wrote on this, which was the very first thing I read from him, a treatise on indwelling sin in believers. It took me a while to read it. But as I read through it, and as the verses just piled on top of each other, and as I was examining my life, reading through this writing, it actually created a deep sense of fear in my soul. That I did not know that I was as bad as I was. And a fear rose up inside of me about this great enemy that still resides in my flesh as a believer and of whom I am to wage war against. And it brought me to the place, and I only only discern this later, where I discovered this in my life. Oh, wretched man I am! That's where I ended up after reading this hundred or so pages on this. And then it thrusts me in this direction. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God. That's where it drew me. John Owen wrote concerning this subject in his introduction. It's a little extended, so bear with me, but please listen to this. Owen wrote, quote, Indeed, few labor to grow wise in this manner. That is the understanding on indwelling sin. Few study themselves as they ought or get acquainted with the evils of their own heart as they ought, on which the course of their obedience and consequently of their eternal condition does depend. There is a constant enemy. Did you hear that word constant? There is a constant enemy in everyone's own heart. And what an enemy it is, we shall afterwards show. For this is the design. Owen's writing about this, Tracy. This is my design. To discover the enemy to the uttermost. And he did so. He continues. We, he's including himself, we may well be well the woeful sloth and walk that many believers have who intend to go to heaven hoodwinked and asleep as though they have no enemy to deal with. Awake, therefore, all of you in whose hearts is anything of the ways of God. Your enemy is not only upon you, as on Samson of old, but is in you. Did you hear that? 
It's in you. The best of us, the most mature of us, still have this enemy in our flesh. Your enemy is not only upon you as on Samson of old, but is in you also. He is at work by all ways of force and craft, as we shall see, unquote. I think that if I was to ask for a raise of hands, and I'm not doing so, how many of you, you might understand that your sinful nature is there, you know what it is as a believer to wrestle with it, but how many of you have gotten to know your enemy? Folks, it's hard to fight an enemy <laughs> if you don't know anything about the enemy, right? This is why in life, if we're fighting an enemy, if you're talking about Ukraine and the Russians, they're sending spies and drones because they're trying to find out how the enemy is maneuvering, right? What are their plans? What is it doing? How does it work? How are they disguising themselves? What weaponry do they have? And folks, our sinful nature has all of those. And it knows you very well. Better than you know yourself. Folks, that is a formidable enemy. And a couple of weeks ago, we briefly <clears throat> looked at the nature of sin. We saw that sin is seen as a king who desires to reign over you. That it demands obedience. It's not interested in a truce. It's interested in complete subjection unto itself. That it needs the members of our body, our eyes, our mind, our heart, our arms, our feet, to weaponize itself against God. It does give wages. That's one of the problems with lost people. Is that walking in the ways of sin in this life under this sun seems to what? It seems to work. It gives wages. It works through desires, lust, feelings. It works through our intellect. It knows how to argue with you. I remember talking to two teenagers who were just dead set against God and dead set against the gospel of Christ. And I remember talking to them and they told me, they said, we're not sinful, we don't need to be saved, not interested in it at all. And so I asked them, I said, sin tells you what to do. They said, no it doesn't. I said, alright, tell me. I said, have you ever had thoughts come into your mind? What's the answer? Yes. I said, where did they come from? Right? Where are your thoughts coming from? Are they coming from the Scripture? 
of God? Where are your thoughts coming from? Where are the reasonings coming when your parents' children tell you something to do and you determine that your parents are foolish and that you understand what you ought to do versus what they should tell you to do and you got good reasons for it? Tell me, where did those reasons come from? Where did they originate? Folks, they didn't originate from you. They came out of a nature. Everybody with me? We're not independent creatures coming up with our own thoughts about things. We're either enslaved to sin or we're enslaved to God. No middle ground. When you say to me that my children are little lawyers, you tell them, don't run in the hallway. Then you see them skipping. And you say, didn't I tell you? Don't run in the hallway. And what do they say? Tell me what do they say. I'm not running. I'm. You didn't tell me not to. Alright, where did that kind of argumentation come from? Folks, where does the argumentation come from when a little baby wants your attention and they're crying like somebody's sawing off their head? And you go running in there and when the baby sees you, it stops crying and gives you a coo because it doesn't want to go to bed. It wants your attention. Folks, where does that come from? Do you have to teach your children to lie? Do you have to teach them to argue against authority? Do you have to teach them to be rebellious? Do you have to teach them to sneak around so that they can do what they want to do when you're not looking? Tell me, parents, do you have to teach all that? No. Do you have to teach them how to be discourteous? How to have bad manners? How not to eat at the table? No, you have to do what? You have to teach them how to do these things. Why? Because by nature, they are dead in trespasses and what? In sins. And folks, sin is not a tendency that is in us. In other words, sometimes people will acknowledge, they'll say, well, I do do some bad things. But at the bottom of my heart, I'm really a what kind of person? See, what they're saying is this. I'm a good person. I acknowledge by my experience that I do have a tendency to sin, but I'm not quite that bad as God says I am. Folks, sin is not a tendency in our hearts. It's just not some bias that human beings have toward evil that if I could change my circumstances or I could change how much money I had or how many houses or lands that I have that I would be a better person. Sin is a nature inside of people. A dog's nature is to bark. So it what? 
It barks. A sinful nature sins. And folks, we live as believers with this nature in our flesh that is feeling and thinking and making judgments. Did you hear this? Thinking, feeling, and making judgments on every point and on every aspect of your daily life. All the time. Listen listen to what the Scripture says. Romans 7. Listen carefully. When I, Paul, when I will to do good, what is present? Did you hear that? So folks, it's not just a change of will that I need. As a believer, can I will to do good? Yes. But what's the problem? Evil is present within me. I don't want to sin as a believer. I don't want to do this as a believer. I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. But there's this other thing in me that is so crafty and so deceitful and so argumentative and so reasonable and so rational under the spirit of this age that I just kind of naturally flow in it so that when I will to do good, I end up doing the exact opposite of what I will. Would you agree with me that this is going to take the power of God? And folks, you can't change the nature of something in spite of the LGBTQABCD movement. You might change the body the way it looks. You might teach yourself certain dialects and how to walk or whatever, but the nature is still the same. And folks, we got to ask ourselves, do we really believe that men men are as sinful as the Bible says that they are? Or that you were as sinful as the Bible says that you were? Turn over to Ephesians 4. I just want to look at two passages and kind of challenge us with that belief. Again, Paul is speaking of our past, but look at Ephesians 4, verse 17. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord. In other words, what he's about to say, does Paul believe this? Did the Lord say it? See, he's affirming it with the Lord. The Lord is in agreement with this. That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Folks, is that not the way your neighbor walks? He's thinking about everything, right? But it's futile. Their lives are in sin. Look at verse 18. Darkened in their understanding. Do they have the light of light? No. Folks, would you agree with me that it's hard to make sound judgments when you can't see? (laughs) but men and women don't believe that they say to themselves people have told me this I have a perfectly rational sound mind that I can make my own decisions thank you darkened Mm 
Verse 18, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, the hardness of their heart. Verse 19, becoming more hard, callous. They give themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. In other words, folks, they get to the place where they can do certain sins that you and I would recall from, and it doesn't bother them at all. What is that evidence? Callous heart. And folks, you know what a cal- you know what a callousness is, right? It's a covering to where no longer you can feel in that area. And note what he says in verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Hallelujah for that. Folks, do you believe that? Do you really believe that lost people are that way? Your children are that way. Your neighbors are that way. Our nation is that way. It's always been that way. It's true all over the world. Europe, Africa, Asia, the islands. If you're in the North Pole or South Pole, it's all that way. Now turn to Romans chapter 3. Because I've actually taken people to Romans chapter 3 and gone through these and people have actually argued with me that this was not true in their case. Romans chapter 3. Let's begin reading here in verse 9. Paul says, What then? Are we better than they? Meaning, are the Jews better than the Gentiles? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Now note verse 10. This is exactly like the Old Testament wrote. There is none righteous, not even one. Do you believe that? Do you believe, verse 11, there is none who understands? Do you believe that? I found people, that one's hard for them to swallow. Now, it's not saying that they can't know certain facts about God. But they don't understand God. They don't know Him. There's none who seek for God. You believe that? Mm-hmm. Folks, think about this. If I were to ask you, why are there so many religions in this world? Because they're using their religion to go away from God. They're trying to hide from God. They're not really seeking God. They're really using their Buddhism or their yoga or their apostate Christianity to put a covering over who they really are. But they're not truly seeking after God. Because the Bible says that if you truly wanted to know the will of God, then you would know that the words in this Bible are true. 
It says in verse 12, All have turned aside. All together they have become useless. There's none who does good. And folks, the Bible understands that we may have some issues with that. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Everybody see that? And folks, when the rich young ruler came up to Christ and said to him, Good master, Jesus looked at that man and said, Why are you calling me good? There's no one good but God. Did you hear that? But the man thought he was good. He said, I've kept all these commandments from my youth up. Jesus said, okay, I'm going to put the finger on it. I'm going to put the finger on you. And Mark says he looked at him and loved him. He's trying to help this man. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Folks, what did the man say? Did he say, thank you for telling me this? He went away sorrowful because he had many riches. Folks, where was he placing his trust? In his wealth. Folks, God can strip away your covering. Verse 14, Romans 3, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. The path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their what? Before their eyes. Do you believe that about the way you were? Folks, when I think back, and I have taken some time in different periods in my Christian walk and taken some time and thought about the way I lived and the way I thought before I came to Christ, I was shocked at how ignorant I was. And I did great on IQ test. Man said I was intelligent, but I was foolish. The way I made decisions, the way I thought about life, the way I oriented my feet, my walk, and what I did and what I said, all in agreement with what I just told you. But I was ignorant. I was blind. Could not see. And folks, as we go back to Ephesians 2, what we see here very quickly in chapter 2 and verse 1 is this. It says, and you. Everybody see that? And you. That word you is referring to Gentiles. And we know that from verse 13 of chapter 1. So we could say this, and you... 
Gentiles were dead in your own trespasses and sins. Everybody see that? Verse 4. In which you, Gentiles, formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power there, of the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. All right, so Gentiles are all dead in their what? Trespasses and sins. Well, what about Jews? Look at verse 3. Among them, what's the next word? We. We, Paul's a Jew, right? We too. All. Formerly. So folks, when we're talking about who it is that are dead in trespasses and sins, certainly we're talking about pagan Gentiles, right? But we're also talking about religious people who don't know the Lord. Like Jewish people. Like Paul. He said, in the law I was blameless. But he was walking according to this pattern. So folks, we can honestly say that Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 includes all mankind. You agree with that? All mankind are dead in trespasses and sins. Now folks, when we say dead in trespasses and sins, dead in your trespasses and sins, we are not saying that all lost people don't exist. Before you got saved, did you exist? Did you breathe? Did you walk? Did you make decisions? Were you responsible for your actions? The answer to all that is what? Yes. Did you respond to external circumstances? Of course. Could you learn? So what we mean by dead in trespasses and sins isn't like we commonly think about deadness. When we think of dead, we think of like our body. Our body will what? Die one day. And to lost people, when they think about their body dying, they think about ceasing to exist. That is not what dead means. At all. Folks, when the Bible talks about dead, it's referring to a separation. So if you just think death, dead, think separation. For instance, my body's going to die. What does that mean? It means that my spirit and my soul will be separated from my what? From my body. When that happens, my body is dead physically. Everybody see that? Okay? Doesn't mean I cease to exist. Doesn't mean I get merged into the universe. Okay? It means death, physical death, is the separation of the body and the soul. What do we mean when it says dead in trespasses and sins? It means that we live our lives separated. Everybody hear that word? 
separated from God and the life of God. Or we could word it this way in this case. We're separated from God and the life of God unto trespasses and sins. Everybody see that? When Adam fell, he died to God and to the life of God inside of Adam. When a person is regenerated, what is in his soul? The life of God in the soul of man. They're no longer dead, but live. Everybody see that? Okay? So when we're talking about dead and trespasses and sins, we're talking about not, not like I can't make a decision, I can't make judgments, I can't act, I can't breathe, I can't talk. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about they live apart from God and from the life of God. Anything apart from the life of God is dead. Do you believe that? Folks, that's your children. That's my children. That's your neighbor. That may be your co-worker. It may be your boss. It's the governments of men. It's the nationalities of men. Jew, Greek, Jewish, Gentile. Dead. Dead to God. Folks, that death <clears throat> permeates every aspect of a man. That separation from God, that lack of the life of God, permeates their will. To where Proverbs says, they who hate me love what? Death. They love death. It permeates, please hear this, it permeates your feelings. Our feelings, naturally, are not like God's. So do you think you could trust your feelings, even as a believer? Answer, no. It permeates our will, it permeates our feeling, it permeates the way we think. Do you feel pretty sinful right now? Do you feel like, I need, oh wretched man, <laughs> I need to be delivered from this? It's your enemy, believer. And folks, very quickly, I have a three-page sheet. Years ago, I actually looked it up. 2004. That's like dinosaur age today, right? I went through the Scripture and, and just wrote down multitudes of verses that dealt with man's sin. Here's what I just selected a few out of here. Listen carefully. <clears throat> All mankind drinks iniquity like water. 
Don't you enjoy water? They thirst for iniquity and they drink it and it gives them satisfaction. They drink iniquity like water, Job chapter 15. They are sinful from conception in the womb, Psalm 51. Their deeds are evil from the moment they're born, Psalm 58. They can't make their heart clean and pure, Proverbs chapter 20. Their hearts, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, hear this, are fully set on evil. Isaiah preached, there is no health or soundness in a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. Isaiah 53, you know this is true. All we like sheep have, how many have gone astray? All have gone astray. What are they doing? They've turned everyone to their own way. Did you hear that? That is sin. That's what the world is teaching the world. It's all about you, your way, your feelings, your thoughts, what you want to do, how you want to live. God says, no, I created you. It's how I created you to live. And man says, you're a legalist. We don't want you telling us what to do. That is sin and iniquity, and it is hardwired into lost people from the moment of their conception. Even in this room. And folks, you've got a sinful flesh. And that is its default too. You have been like me. And you've heard preaching. In the old days they used to say this. That stepped on your toes. And immediately you gave five reasons why you don't have to obey God in this way. Where do you think those reasons came from? Your sinful nature. And you felt good about it. You took those arguments and those reasons and you made a little castle so that you're in there and nobody could get to you. Nobody could tell you how to do in this and you've got your argumentation and you're comfortable and you're hid behind all that. We go astray and do our own way. Jeremiah preached to the nation of Israel, sin flows in you like fountains of water. Your body, your life is like a fountain. As a lost person, what's coming out of that fountain? Sin. John chapter 3 says, men love darkness. They may not love the same depth of darkness. They may not love this depth of darkness in another person, but they love darkness. Why do they love darkness? Their deeds are what? Folks, people want to live in darkness because they think God can't see them doing evil. It's dark. But God says this, even the darkness is light to me. And Mark chapter 7 says this, folks, I wish every believer would understand this. 
that sin originates of and out of your own heart. It comes out of you. So you can't blame your circumstances for doing wrong. You can't say to someone, you made me do that. No, my friend. No, my friend. It wasn't the circumstance. Do you hear this? It came out of your own what? Heart. You agreed to do this. It's not your environment. It's not other people. Folks, if it was the environment that was Lord over our sinfulness, the man Christ Jesus would have sinned. He lived in this dark world, did He not? As a man. Fully God, yes, but fully man. Tempted in all points like as we are. But He did not what? He did not sin. But we have this traitor inside of us that keeps saying, yes, let your anger out. Yes, explode back. Yes, here's some argumentation. Yes, you can hide yourself from your parents. You can hide yourself from your friends. You can go off and do this in a quarter. But even the darkness is light unto God. He sees us. Folks, we are dead. That's the way as believers we formerly were. Dead in trespasses and what? Even the plowing of the wicked, Proverbs says, is sin. Now folks, is there anything sinful about plowing? Then why is it sin? Because they're not like God. They don't have the life of God inside of them. They're dead in their trespasses and sins, separated from God and the life of God in them. And it happened at conception and they go astray the moment they're born. And they only grow in understanding on how to do that. And folks, you know this. You can, have, you can catch your children doing something. I'll just say, you, you, you know, they got their hand in the cookie jar. Okay, we don't do cookie jars anymore. Okay, we just open the closet, grab the whole bag. Okay. And you're like, you got the bag of cookies. I told you not to eat before dinner. I told you you can't have that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Big crocodile tears. And so what happens next time? They weren't sorry about it. They just become more cunning on how to get away with it. Where do you think they learned that? Did you have to sit them down and say, now let me teach you how to do this. I do it a lot. Let me teach you how to do it. No, it's their nature. And folks, we'll conclude in John chapter 8 in our reading because our Lord tried to show religious people exactly those things. I'm just going to read it. We'll be done. I'm going to inflect on what I want you to, to get out of the passage. He's speaking to the Pharisees and the Jews. Are they religious? They are. Are they seeking God? No. They're actually hiding from God under God's own religion. Verse 21. Then He said again to them, I go, I go away and you will seek Me and you will die in your what? Everybody see that? Where I am going, you cannot come. 
So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from where? I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you, you will what? Die in your what? Sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die. Folks, three times he tells those religious people they're going to die in their what? And so will you unless you have the life of God inside of you. You must be born not of this world. You must be born from above. Everybody see that? Because you are wicked. You are bad. You're still wicked even if you turn over a new leaf. You just may be a little less wicked than what you were, but you're still wicked. And thanks be to God that God sent His only begotten Son knowing we can't save ourselves. We are enslaved permanently unless God does something. And folks, I want to remind you of this. Folks, where does the power of death come from? Folks, who was the one that said in the garden, you eat of this tree, you shall... Who said that? God said that. So folks, death has the power of God behind it. Do you think you're going to escape that power? But the power of life is infinitely greater than the power of death. Christ sent His Son, the Lord sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins, to accomplish that salvation at Calvary and at His resurrection so that all who come to Him, come to Me, He says, and have life. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Proverbs says the way of the transgressor is hard. Don't die in your sins. But be delivered, be saved by the grace of God. For you have been saved, not of works, lest any man would what? Mm -hmm. But by the grace of God. All to the praise of the glory of His grace. Let's bow our heads.